0: Kajala Medical presents COVID-19 The Answers, the show that delivers the scientific evidence-based knowledge that can safely return us all to our pre-COVID lives. My name is Dr. Famio Kanola, and I'll be hosting the show. Every week you can listen to me interview a highly respected professional about the science that can reduce your risk of becoming infected with this coronavirus. If you scroll down to the bottom of the podcast section of my website kajalamedical.com forward slash COVID-19 the answers, you will see the diagram for the 360 degree solution to pandemic control. This solution illustrates the risk reduction measures that we need to put in place, working collectively to manage this pandemic, future pandemics and to live with the coronavirus safely. Today, Ms. Galia Wessler is interviewed talking about how information technology in the form of blockchain technology, namely self-sovereign identity, can be used to combat pandemics and enable the secure transfer of our private medical information in healthcare. I've provided links to the research paper around which the questions for this interview are based and some further reading that explains the technology. Hello, and welcome to COVID-19 The Answers, Episode 14, Information Technology to Combat COVID-19. Today, I'd like to introduce you all to Ms. Galia Wesler, President and CEO of Plazas Technologies, Go Health Technologies, Inc., and Two Galvanized Solutions Limited. Ms. Wesler is a product specialist, entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, and blockchain enthusiast. Ms. Wesler earned her degree in computer software engineering from Shenkar Engineering Design Art College in Israel in 2005, one of only two women in a class of 40 people. Ms. Wesler gained experience as a project and product manager in the IT corporate world while studying for her degree and for a number of years after, where she built her craft as a team builder and leader, paving the way for her to exercise her entrepreneurial skills in 2009 by founding her first company to galvanize solutions in Canada, where she has led a team in building over 200 apps, websites, and B2B solutions over the past 13 years. In 2016, Ms. Wesler founded Plazas Technologies, a software company that works with small to medium-sized enterprises to provide streamlined, security-focused digitization of their business processes using blockchain and other AI technologies. Ms. Wesler is a skilled presenter and motivational speaker who has been invited to speak about it all over the world, most notably at TEDx Stanley Park in Vancouver in 2016, where she delivered a talk entitled Social Media Obesity and Our Loneliness. In 2020, with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic and with the collaboration of the REACH organization and the Canadian government, Ms. Wesler founded Go Health Technologies Inc, which has developed an app that anonymously holds an individual's encrypted personal data on self-testing as a type of digital wallet on their smartphone. Welcome. Thank you very much, Bonnie. It's very, very nice to be here. So Galia, what made you decide to become an entrepreneur and set up three different high-tech companies over the past thirteen years?
1: I am. I've, I think I've always been uh, an entrepreneur. I never quite knew that at the beginning because, as we start our careers, we usually start them um, even as kids. We try different things to become business owners, and as we fail, I like to call it failing forward. And for me, the path has been with a lot of a lot of obstacles and a lot of failures. And finally, um, when I arrived to Canada, I actually grew up in Israel. I was born in Canada, but grew up in Israel. I was able to um, progress with my career. I have become a senior project manager and senior product manager. But as I like to say, I hit the the glass ceiling uh, quite early in my career. And I realized that it is within my core to be an innovator and to work with uh, highly skilled individuals and to be able to select the teams and the clients that I work with in order to feel fulfilled with what I do for my job, which is to work in Web3 type projects, innovative technologies. And we've always been at the forefront of technologies. I'm from, I come from Israel, which is a high tech. Um, it, it's one of the leading high tech places in the world, where actually per capita, it's one of the, the leading places for startups to get investments uh, from around the world and especially from the US. And so the whole environment, when you go to Israel, when you work with Israelis, you really are immersed in technologies. And for me personally, I grew up in a home where my dad worked in high tech for many, many years. And my dad is really is my my business mentor. My mom, I like to say, is my emotional mentor. And so with this background, uh, I was really raised up to, to be in technology, even though I had no inclination for technology when I was in high school. Nevertheless, my dad is giving me the advice to become a software engineer, and he said many doors will open for you. Now, developing blockchain type solutions for the past uh, almost four years, um, and Go Health actually, which is a third company created from the need when the the COVID uh, COVID pandemic started.
0: And one other quick question: What are Web three technologies? That's a really good question. So, um, so let's talk about
1: um, the the first the first layer of uh, of the web and the internet. So, the internet the internet as we know it today really gained a mass adoption. Obviously, it started well before that with uh, different uh, armies and governments and universities. But the internet as we know it today, you know, in and around 1996. Uh, was when it started to be widely used and um, slowly, slowly but truly, it had gained momentum. And that was the internet of information, right? The internet of information means that, and I'm going to relate this to blockchain, right? So this relates to other questions that the audience might have about blockchain. So the early stage of the internet was the internet of information, which means that if I own, um, for example, we signed a, a contract, right? So if you own the original contract that your lawyer put together, you have the origin. And the only thing that you're using the internet to send that over to me is you send send me a copy. When we progress into blockchain technology, which which started to happen in web two, and now it really is uh, going to be really engraved in our daily lives, which is now at web three, we are now looking at a layer where it allows users such as us to be able to claim our ownership and not just receive a copy. We want to receive the ownership. Now another thing that happened in the second evolution of the web is as we talked about social networks so all of a sudden the web too which is a more of an interactive uh, web internet that we that we live that we lived in um there's an opportunity for the user to comment on it and to really have a discussion which is where social networks have come to life in the second wave of the internet and today we are in a in a place where we have a fully or not fully, but we are on our steps to become fully immersed in all the different uh, activities that are happening in the in the internet, on the web. And that is why it's called Web three. And what Web 3 really encompasses of is artificial intelligence, blockchain technology, a lot of you know NFTs, which is also kind of projects that we do. And so when you think about the innovation and, and progress that we're making as human beings, We are taking ourselves from the internet uh, of information into the internet of engagement, into the internet of uh, of ownership, which is if you think about blockchain technology, um, and I can explain that in the next question, it really allows for a person to be able to claim their rights to what is originally theirs.
0: That's fabulous and and really fascinating and interesting because, you know, I've seen the growth of the internet and be fearsome of it, that it might be used as a weapon of control. And what you're now conveying to me is actually it can be a tool of freedom for us all if we know how to utilize it properly. So that's a really exciting um, development. And I can see certain governments having issues with that, but that's their issue. So I'm going to move on to the questions Now. So, bearing in mind that we are speaking to an audience that is intelligent but not necessarily scientific and has a limited formal information technology background, can you please tell us exactly what blockchain technology is? Sure.
1: So, um, first of all, everybody's intelligent, everybody is capable of understanding, as you said. And, uh, you know, we all have certain things that we're passionate about. I just happen to be passionate about technologies. And fashion, but I'm not passionate in, you know, in, in other, in other stuff. So I need to be educated. So I think it's an opportunity for a lot of us to be educated because as the world is progressing and we are dealing with web three technologies, it is, it will be amazing if people will start to get interested in it now and not so much into the hype and the less hype you are involved in and the more informed you are, the less mistakes you're going to make and the more benefits you will have. So when we talk about blockchain technology, we talk about essentially um, a ledger. And if we can imagine a ledger, we can imagine almost like an Excel spreadsheet where you can can add information to it, but you cannot erase that information. So it's almost like a trail that is being being tracked um, on the web, right? It's another layer. It's actually another, it's called, it's referred to as another layer of trust to the internet. So if we have the internet of information where you're going to send me a copy of your document. We could add another layer that is another layer of trust. And how do we do that in a ledger? So, if, for example, you need to send me in that layer, everybody knows Bitcoin, right? Everybody knows Bitcoin, which is, you know, in the in the area of crypto. Uh, another note is that blockchain is not necessarily all has to do with crypto, but crypto has to definitely do with blockchain. Because when we talk about Bitcoin, Bitcoin was the fundamental, that was like when, when, when things started, when we looked at blockchain technology into how implemented that in order to create a layer of trust between people. So peer to peer in a topic of payment. So crypto really talks about a payment. If we, if we look at Bitcoin, it's a way for me to send you $20 um, using an algorithm. And I engrave in that Excel spreadsheet that my username or my user number had sent it to your user number in a pseudo-anonymous way, which means that it's partially anonymous. And we are not using a bank. In the financial crisis that we saw, right in the in the in the two thousands, people started to write a white paper, right, which illustrated how a peer-to-peer payment could happen in, in with an algorithm without the middleman called the bank. And that is how Bitcoin, you know, and, and of course, cryptography is something that has been around for many, many, many years, but they really formalized, formulated it in a, in a white paper, a technical paper that illustrates how can we do peer-to-peer payments? now look at the history in that Excel spreadsheet, in that ledger, which that history is always going to be true. It's always going to have this layer of trust because you cannot, it's a very difficult to hack it. Because every transaction, everything that you do is connected block by block. And everybody's transactions are connected by block by block. And there's other computers that are verifying these blocks. And so if you ever wanted to hack it, you're gonna to have to change all the other blocks because there are dependencies. And this is in simplicity what blockchain does. So if we take the internet of information, this document, this, uh, uh i guess if we relate it to to documents or to to money it's a little bit of different examples but if in the internet of information it is us getting a permission from a bank to send money in the in the internet of uh, of today's world if we were to use uh blockchain the internet of trust we are the one who are the owners of that digital asset And when we talk about digital assets, digital assets are money, identity, right? There's many, many different things. And within identity today, we would like to talk about health identity. These are all assets that belongs that they have got some sort of ownership, right? So if we talk about health data, if I would like to get tested, if I wanna go to a doctor, if I wanna get an assessment, it's mine does not belong to government, does not belong to my doctor, does not belong to a hospital.
0: It is mine. I'd like to talk about the research around COVID-19 related applications for blockchain technology. There are three leading areas of research for blockchain tech usage during the pandemic, namely one, pandemic control and surveillance, two, contact tracing and vaccine or immunity passports, and three, keeping track of supply lines. And I'd like to talk about each in turn. So at the moment, living in a COVID world is scary and cumbersome. Scary because you never know when you're going to be infected and what the long-term effects this is going to have for your health. And also if there is a new variant lurking around the corner. And cumbersome for international travel with all the testing you have to partake in. Could you describe how blockchain has been used in testing and contact tracing?
1: So... Unfortunately, it has not been used enough. And uh, I'll tell you how we came up with this idea. Since my team and I participated in many hackathons, many technology hackathons at the beginning of this pandemic. I I was stuck in Germany, I couldn't go back to to Canada. And we were trying to think, uh, what are we going to do, right? we had we had a very difficult time right it was a lot of unknown internally in our company we had a difficult times we had difficult times communicating with clients and 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 stakeholders i think everybody could could share right the 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 difficult times that we all had and the one thing that you know is common for all of us in particularly to you as well is that urge and that need to do something because we felt helpless we didn't know what was happening and as we felt helpless, we were trying to find ways to, to find solutions. And as technologies, we joined different hackathons. So hackathon for people who don't know, it's a kind of competition where you get together and you hack a solution, hack in a way that you program and you come up with a solution, you completely uh, try to design it and, and uh, develop it in a rapid way and then present it to a committee and then you win a prize. So we're talking about April of 2020, right? when mayhem started to happen. And the simple idea said, how do we get the economy going? The economy stopped. I couldn't I couldn't get out of this country and you couldn't get out of your country. And I wanted to see my mom and dad and I couldn't. And then I was really afraid to be infected but I wanted to see people, right? A lot of us, we felt lonely. And one of the impacts of being so isolated in a different quarantine and uh, and also different rules that countries had. And so when we came to the hackathon, we said, what could we do to get the economy going? And one of the ideas that we had in the hackathon is we have to almost segregate the the community, the, the society, the city, the neighborhood, between those who are shedding the virus and those who are not. And how do we do that? We do that with testing, right? But how do we do that in a way that doesn't impact the user's uh, privacy? And a note on that, in the country that I grew up in, in Israel, they have used horrible techniques to do tracking tracing without the user's consent, sending it to the secret services of Israel to automatically detect that you have been around somebody that has shedded the virus, and sending you a text message, you must go to quarantine. Mind you, this was a, a, um, a trial version, yet they've imposed that on the citizens of Israel, which is something similar that happened in other Asian countries as well. They completely violated privacy rules, which is why in Germany, for example, where privacy and GDPR is a really high topic here, they, they didn't allow to use track and trace at the beginning. They've used it a little bit later. And so, in this kind of environment, we came up with an idea. How do we use our phones to detect if we're shedding the virus and and then tap our phone to enter a clean space? That's it. That was the idea.
0: And blockchain was all behind that whole hackathon idea.
1: And so the way we implemented it and the way we're now doing this project with the Canadian federal government and the organization that you've you've mentioned and many other parties as well, we are using a... um, a a technology and a method called self sovereign identity, which is something that uh, other companies and airports and and other organizations and airlines in particular are using to to actually fulfill the same idea. How do we create a verified, uh, let's call it user, that we know for certain that this user holds certain credentials? So what are credentials? Credentials are not that just health, right? So if you talk about health, my credentials is, I might have a certain blood type, I might have a certain health status, my age, um, where I'm from, my characteristics, and also if I'm sharing the virus. We, we intake this information and we don't take personal information. We don't take actual name. We just verify, for example, what is important for you in this process? Gallia's age. You don't care that it's Gallia. You Actually, you don't even care about my date of birth. You just care about my year of birth. So we take pieces of this information, these credentials that I have, and you also take the fact that I am, uh, for example, uh, negative for, for the virus. And you might also be interested in my, um, some, some past history, I don't know, allergies that I have. Whatever it is that's interesting for you, and you encrypt it in a wallet, which means that it is being stored on my device. So from a security perspective, you will have to hack each and every device to take an encrypted information, decrypt it, and then figure out, oh, there's, a, there's an SSI ID that has a positive test. I'm just telling you. all of this information is flowing to a dashboard for WHO, which was also involved in the project at the beginning to the to the government to the hospital to the nurses to whomever is involved and they can really see an accurate uh, picture of who are the people their information their anonymized information and what they're doing they just moved from uh, section a to section b and everything is secured and you're not jeopardizing uh, their privacy that, that that was that was the initial idea so i touched upon a few things here i don't know if it
0: what are vaccine or immunity passports and how is blockchain technology featured here?
1: So it's just to give you an example of how we could build a different type of health passports because it's a health passport in a way that doesn't necessarily expose the user and doesn't literally says about the user the the private information that they hold. Because really what is it that you need when you are showing your vaccination passport? you need to show that the person is vaccinated. You need to show maybe a combination with a test. You need to show a certain attribute, certain credentials. So the way to use self-sovereign identity in blockchain is to verify these credentials and you will not hold my personal information. You will only store the check mark, she's over 18. If you need to store that I am vaccinated three times with Pfizer, then, then we will need to connect to the lab or to the, the organization that has given me this vaccination. And you literally verify that I was vaccinated in Israel two times and in Germany um, one more time. And so to consolidate that, you do a verification with the government database, but you're not grabbing the information. You're only grabbing a checkmark. Is Gallia vaccinated with an approved vaccine on a certain date? And she is three times because that's her criteria. And then you pull that information into an encrypted wallet um, and you allow me to move around with my wallet, with my app, with a verified vaccination passport. And that is the proper way to do it, not only for a vaccination passport, but for any type of health or any type of credentials for that matter.
0: So, so basically um, what I'm hearing here is that blockchain it gives very specific information so rather than um the authority so i might for example want to we used to have to show our vaccine passports to get into a restaurant so rather than the restaurant having all of my information where i live my date of birth what my blood group is which might be recorded on that that um that database blockchain will uh, the restaurant has to specifically ask um say three questions and 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 my passport will only answer those specific three questions in a block. So that way there's no, and and the blocks are secure and encrypted. So there's no way of them being hacked and and all of my information being spread everywhere. That's the strength of it.
1: It is better if you don't ask many questions, only the necessary questions. So you're right about that. You need to be very careful about what questions you ask. And then you can store using self-sovereign identity, only the verification of that oh, so if you have already verified right with with the vaccination center mm. that i have the type of vaccine why do i need to show the actual information on their mm. their app mm. to the restaurant owner that now knows my first name my last name maybe my address why do they need to see that if just, i verified and i got a qr code to 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 prove that so now we're getting into the purpose of these identity cards, right? What is that, mm. what's the purpose there? Mm. And once you define the purpose, then you define the question, then you can define the verification of those credentials and then store only the verifications inside some sort of an encrypted app that can be verified with a scan of a, of a barcode.
0: Very good. So um, lots of business sectors are currently having supply chain issues due to COVID-19. This can range from outbreaks leading to lockdowns in major supply chain arms such as Shanghai or lack of staff due to people quarantining whilst contagious or sick with COVID-19. Can blockchain be used to mitigate or alleviate these problems by predicting these outcomes so that businesses can better prepare or can you suggest an alternative strategy?
1: so blockchain also so when we talk about digital assets as a way to uh, move along pieces of information that belong to us one of the one of the the best examples of one of the examples of blockchain technology implementation has to do with supply chain supply chain has a lot of issues where you do not know and you cannot verify who is on that container ship what is on that container ship in a way that is verifiable. Because we have so many different parties, they all use different systems, different databases, they're really afraid to show any visibility to that database, which means that they have no trust. Now, if you use a third party, meaning blockchain, to only hold the verification, yes, this is a corporation that is a a Dutch corporation or a German corporation, we can have this check mark and then once we know we have a verified check mark, then it can pass through the port. Then we can deliver or not deliver the goods. You know, detect if it's you know. And and I'm talking about and I'm and I'm and I'm mixing different things here: supply chain, AML, anti-money laundering, right? I'm talking about different things and regulatory issues that countries are dealing all over the world. And if they were to use a self-sovereign identity, for example. other other methods in blockchain to track it and to identify it, they might end up saving a lot of money and, 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 and expose a lot of these crimes that are happening.
0: I believe with the correct application of this technology, public health would have access to an accurate prevalence of COVID-19 in any area by encouraging people to anonymously upload their positive home rapid test results and then combine this information with the data that they gather from laboratory process testing, both in hospital and the community. How is blockchain tech used with regards to pandemic control and surveillance?
1: So if I may answer that with the actual project that we have, um, we didn't we didn't progress with the original COVID idea, unfortunately. Nevertheless, uh, we got introduced to this amazing group at the at the region, the the research foundation there, um, along with the federal government, and we decided to tackle another type of pandemic, which is called HIV. And it particularly the Minister of Health of Canada announced the project that we're working on last June, as a nation nationwide Canada-wide project to try and detect the the unknown with regards to HIV, which, you know, as you can also attest to it, it's very similar to COVID where one has to be tested. We need to verify uh, the results. We need to keep people anonymous. There's a lot of shame. And there was a lot of shame with COVID as well at the beginning and maybe now as well, but there's certainly a lot of shame when we're dealing with HIV, when we're dealing with STDs, with, you know, really sensitive health information that people have the right to connect to care. People have the right to know their status. And so the Canadian government looked at our model and looked at the looked at the the, the thing that we developed in, in, the, in the hackathon and they said this would be amazing for HIV. And so the way we do it in practicality is we built an app for them. And now actually we're not just doing it for HIV self-testing. Actually, now it's for COVID testing. Only thing that they have to do is download the app, anonymously identify who they are, receive the test without giving any, any information, provide the test results, and hopefully. Um, you know, they, they feel comfortable to present the test results. Most importantly for the Canadian government, it's really important to see a more accurate information as to where is it spreading and how can we reach these people. Everything is for free.
0: Yeah, so I can see how that whole infrastructure could be set up for COVID and it's quite astonishing that it hasn't been. Um, I suspect because um, COVID-19 has been trivialised and labelled as something akin to the flu, where in fact it's a serious and deadly virus that can lead to a lot of chronic disease. So maybe as people begin to understand issues like long COVID, post-acute sequelae of COVID, where you can, you know, your risk for organ damage, for example, even with a single COVID infection can be 70 percent two organs or more damaged particularly if you're unvaccinated so i think when those things start to be understood then we may well get adoption of that technology so exact so i guess at the moment it's almost like a theory that the technology could be used for surveillance um, whereas it's not implemented.
1: you're absolutely right let me tell you another anecdote um when we did the uh the hackathon um um I was really fortunate to be in touch with a senior one of the senior people there to for from post-market surveillance because we we thought about this for the vaccine actually we thought about this too as a method to not only provide the test but also to make sure that we are gathering the right information about the vaccine and how the the side effects are impacting. And it's not just a vaccine right it's it's many other drugs and anything that's happening in the in the phase of post-market surveillance, was extremely fascinating for that WHO person who actually introduced us to the the Canadian government individuals. She was fascinated and she wrote a paper about SSI, self-sovereign identity, and post-market surveillance when you develop drugs and and vaccines, and particularly vaccines, because a vaccine is made for a healthy person, Not, not for a sick person, right? And if it gets you, if it makes you sick, there's something wrong, right? But the vaccine, really, they go through different, really uh, uh, dif- difficult uh, phases for them to even bring bring out the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And post-market surveillance is an amazing, amazing way to to use self-sovereign identity to be able to do a proper way of post-market surveillance for for that purpose. Mm.
0: Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's also really important, I mean, um, to know exactly how many people, for example, are developing COVID so that we we can prepare our health services for the future. Blockchain is very patient-focused. If we take the management of medical records, blockchain can facilitate control and distribute records and information to the patient. You've explained how it works. Uh, That's a a culture of patient-focused management of their own medical records. It's common in countries such as India, but really uncommon in North America and Europe. Uh, In North America and Europe, the government, the hospitals, the doctors, such as me being a a family physician, we control and retain um, the patient medical information not them and even when i've offered uh, uh, patients copies of their information they're very reticent to take it and take that responsibility so blockchain is actually facilitating that kind of you know completely different cultural revolution on this side of the planet so how can we plan to get the patient in this part of the world and the medical profession used to such a revolutionary change
1: so I mean, it, it does start with with the government. It does start with uh, up above, or or with the organization that is basically telling. I mean, the question is back to you: is how does a physician know which technology tools to use? I believe it's the it's the organization above them that gives them the license, who dictates, right, what kind of technologies they are to use
0: no not necessarily we can choose and then what you find i mean like for example for um for medical records that you manage in a family physician environment uh families physicians actually choose what programs they want to use so if you join a practice for example it might be oscar based so if the practice is already established and you're joining as a new family physician you will obviously adopt the system that the practice is is currently using but somebody has to start the practice and choose that system so family physicians are are very because you know the costs of seeing patients come directly out of our pocket so um we're actually we, we kind of favor systems that are simple to use, but also that are cheap or free. And so those are the ones that tend to become quite popular. I re- what I'm coming from in, uh, from is, is to say that, you know, you, you're um, behind a culture and a kind of a technological revolution, which is putting the power back into the hands of the individual. So at the moment, yeah. um, you come into my office, I take a medical history, I order tests, all of those results come to me, that medical history, is on my computer, in my server, in my office. You have no access to it, even though that's your information. You're suggesting with blockchain that actually, and I think it's a good idea, the patient has that information and they decide who can see it. So in India- it is different people um, retain their own information because they go to many many different places there isn't really the um, family physician network whereby you know say for example I detect that you have a tumour and I refer you to an oncologist a cancer specialist it goes the letter comes from me and your medical records that I retain and I share them with that oncologist because I need you to get that treatment and I send it directly to them whereas in places like India they have to go and find that oncologist themselves so they retain their medical records and they go out and find the oncologist they don't have a family physician to to necessarily direct them so you're you're changing a whole culture here where you're putting the responsibility of that information onto the patient Mm -hmm. rather than the physician so how are you going to change that so
1: so first of all yes first of all we'll talk about the architecture so the architecture and the the requirements are different from country to country and actually from province to province right Mm -hmm. it's very different in canada yeah and so, if you were to talk about British Columbia, for example, and we look at the British Columbia privacy laws, and especially uh, health health care related uh, laws about privacy, we need to see uh, how we're going to comply with that. And if, in fact, you are saying that private information can reside on the physician's uh, personal computer, that it sounds a, a bit odd to me because it sounds completely not secure. Um, but, but may, maybe there could be uh, existing systems that are on the cloud in a secure cloud environment. But, but if we were to imagine some sort of a environment where there is a server somewhere, whether it's on Farmers or on the cloud, um, using blockchain technology, you could develop an app to, first of all, verify that the person is who they say they are. They've got MSP, they've got, you know, they're a Canadian resident, they're Canadian citizens, whichever credentials you need to verify. And then they, they do it by, I don't know using uh, face recognition or scanning their their health, uh, driver's license, health ID, um, and then on this app we only store. Remember the check mark. This is Galia. She is maybe you call me by first name only. First name if I feel comfortable to share that with you. So I get to share that with you, and 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 maybe I put uh, and, and and I store the, the 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 authorization, the the sort of the, the verification of my information. Then I interact with the app. And in this app, I can request for a blood test or some sort of a test from you. You conduct this test, you enter it in your system and the system sends back to my, so it it stays within your system. It stays within your existing on-premise, whichever software that you're using. And you're only sending to me the verification or part of the information or whichever it is that I need to be able to then go to another doctor. And, and the, same, the same thing can happen with another doctor, right? The other doctor's uh, office or other other uh, information that they're required can be asked from your, from your system in a secure way, in a way that we can track it, in a way that we can present it to the user. So again, we, we have to sort of take a look at the requirements and see what is the minimum amount of information that needs to transfer to that doctor. So to give an example, if you are doing a test to detect cancer or any other diseases, do you really need to expose the whole record of that patient? Or is there some things, some particular information that you can can transfer? And then when you transfer it, you need to transfer it in an encrypted manner. And then then the patient, and it has to go through the patient. So basically in an optimal world, you will provide this information to the patient in a sort of an app, and the person will be the one who pushes the button. Yes, I agree to this oncologist specialist to see this piece of information that I've received, I've received from, from you, from my doctor. Do you see what I mean? So it's about a mindset. And then, of course, the implementation to do that with blockchain technology.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I fully understand that blockchain facilitates that. And I personally speaking, I think we should put the power, um, uh, uh, um, of, of, the control of medical records to the patient. I find very often when they have that, um, responsibility, they re- retain the information, uh, in a much safer manner than the, the medical profession does. For example, at the moment, we're still faxing. So if I refer you to the oncologist, I know. Uh, if I refer you to the oncologist in the local hospital here, I fax through your confidential medical information to his office. So um, so mm. what I'm trying to say to you, so I understand the technology, it's the mindset. So at the moment, the, the patient is just happy. They trust the medical profession, you know, to retain their information. And the medical re- profession takes on that responsibility of confidentiality on behalf of the patient and communicates so it, it, the communication is from me to the oncologist, um, and, and, and not not from me to the patient to the oncologist. So yeah. it's about changing a mindset. So how are you going to get the medical profession to relinquish that responsibility and the patient to adopt it? Because that that's one of the Im- <laughs> this, that's one so of so the- you're
1: talking about adoption. You're talking yeah, about it's, it's,
0: it's, it's one of the hindrances of why this technology isn't being widely adopted, because that's that's not
1: the reason. That's not the reason, though. The reason is because the governments are not taking. So it it is it is in the government's hands. It's about regulations. It's about the laws. It's about you know being able to empower organizations such as your organization, my organization, to create these technology solutions. Whether whether it's about the adoption, I think that if the rules would allow for that, and there will be RFPs that the government can issue. To start to do kind of like proof of concept or minimum viable products kind of solutions, right. Right. and they bring it into and they and they do surveys and they do user beta testing and they have a usability group and right. you know the doctors are happy the the physician the, the so the physicians are happy the patients are happy mm-hmm. the the specialists are happy so with within this ecosystem you've mentioned different parties right and the best way to do that is to just start developing it and to start developing it you have to change the rules. You have to assign budgets for it. Then you have to post it as a as a as a as a as a bid, so that companies such as myself can do that. And then, when it comes to adoption, the user when we talk, talk about different blockchain solutions, the best solutions out there are the ones where the user doesn't even know there's blockchain involved. When you use the Ambrity test app, yeah, they don't know it's blockchain enabled. They just use an app. It's the same way as in 1995 or in, in uh, the 2000. You've used a website. You didn't know that it was built on top of an HTML. You didn't have to know. Mm. You just used the website.
0: Mm. Okay. So the the medical profession is traditionally not quick to adopt new technologies and different ways of working. Um, I've just mentioned faxes, faxes, for example. Um, There's a lack of knowledge and understanding of blockchain amongst medical professionals. The COVID-19 pandemic ushered in a widespread adoption of telehealth, which saw an increase in use virtually overnight by around 80 to 90%. So how are business entrepreneurs such as yourself and the blockchain in the blockchain sphere, riding on this wave of enthusiasm to, uh, to encourage awareness, understanding and thereby adoption of this technology? Um,
1: well, I think that um, people need to understand this new layer to the internet. And instead of trying to take a deep dive into understanding, for example, how to build websites back in 1995, you can you can understand you, you can take a course, you could have taken a course in HTML and try to build it, but as a business owner you just wanted a website and the, you have to under, you have to think about the motivation. Why did you want a website back in the 2000s? Because you understood there's this layer of information that I need to communicate with you from Germany to Canada to Israel, to different to the UK, right And as a as a business person who understands that they have to have the exposure, to have a, some sort of a front page, they, they understood they needed to have a website. So I think if we took, take this analogy to blockchain, if, if, if physicians and governments and organizations and individuals understand, they are hacking our information. They are making money from our information. It doesn't belong to us. I'm afraid to go get tested for HIV. I'm afraid to do an STD. I don't know what my future husband <laughs> would think of it. Do you see what I mean? There's a lot of a lot of shame and, and a lot of fear, even getting tested for COVID. I know people that have gotten COVID and did not do a PCR test. They don't know their status. They're taking antigen tests, which are not accurate as the PCR test, and they're still in the dark, literally in the dark, inside their room, completely like in isolation, because they are afraid to go and to be tracked and traced and to be exposed because there's no anonymity and people are afraid. So I think if people uh, claim the right for ownership, for privacy, for owning their digital assets, their data, their identity data, their money, their other types of, of digital assets, then governments will understand that this new layer of the, of, of, of the internet, which is blockchain that we're talking about today, is the right solution to bring this to, to the people by developing these types of solutions.
0: Another factor I feel that might be hindering the adoption um, of this, of, of blockchain technology into, into medical, into healthcare, is integration of this new tech with existing health platforms. So in your opinion, how can this be overcome or facilitated? So um
1: so we when we talk about a digitalization uh revolution that governments have to go through which is what you are saying really that we have to take a look at the archi- and this is what we do with our clients we take a look at the whole architecture we take a look from security perspective from usability perspective um integration is is just something that that has to happen so if you have even an antiquated system that we have to integrate with. Hopefully, they have available APIs, which APIs are the ways to connect through through a channel, through a secure channel, to an existing system, and then we look at it as any any ways to to integrate. So when you develop uh, blockchain type solutions, essentially you're you're building enterprise type systems. So you're developing code, and you're integrating this code into an existing system.
0: Right. Okay. Another factor is the costs of incorporating this new tech could be significant. Can you comment on the cost benefits of adopting blockchain technology?
1: So I I would do, uh, if if I were to be involved in such a project, like let's say they take me as a consultant, then I will sit down and I would ask them about the manual processes and how much money does it cost them? How How many salaries do they have to pay for that person to do this manual work? Of entering all this, all this data information, then to check it, then to put it in a secure folder instead of connecting to a secure folder to do this verification, to call the patient, to, you know, the emails that you're sending, the password that you're going to put on the PDF, on the, you know, like all these. And then I would also try to hack it, because we have security engineers. We will do penetration testing. So we'll try to hack it on their behalf. And then we'll show them a report. This is your gaps. And um, and once we do this analysis, we can tell them it's actually costing you this amount of money every year or every quarter. And if you implement it, this is going to be the cost and you will reach your return of investment.
0: So what you're saying is um, blockchain technology provides an efficient and abbreviated path um, with regards to transferring information than traditional methods that we're using in a widespread way today. So it, it cuts out many steps that would cost the enterprise money. It, it, it actually abbreviates and make it, makes it more secure. So that in itself is of benefit. Is that what you're saying?
1: So it, it could create automation, but uh, I think one needs to look at it from an overall digitalization method of doing things, of replacing manual work with digital algorithmic work and then adding a layer of transparency to it, a layer of trust to it. So it's, I would look at it as a whole project where a project is, you know, it's not, it, you can call it the blockchain project, but a lot of the, the components that we're going to digitize and automate might and might or might not be blockchain related, if that makes I sense. See. So the cost efficiency is a project-wide cost efficiency that a company would do when they're about to develop uh, such a project.
0: Right. Okay. Another factor is the impracticality of storing vast quantities of medical information generated on a blockchain. For example, medical image files, such as an MRI scan can take up huge amounts of data storage. So how can the storage be safe, secure, and cost-effective?
1: There are ways, there are
0: decentralized
1: storages out there that could be placed on the blockchain, but I believe according to GDPR again coming from, um, from Europe, uh, you're not allowed to store it on the blockchain. What could, could be stored on the blockchain and what doesn't need to be stored on the blockchain? You could just store on the blockchain the, the things that cannot be disputed. For example, if you think about this MRI picture, what is the purpose and what is it that you don't want it to be disputed, the the diagnosis? What is it that is really important for you not to be disputed? Whatever it is that you don't want to have any doubts about it and that everybody can forever look at this ledger and say, yes, this is the doctor that approved it and this is the diagnosis and it cannot be disputed. This is the type of information that you could consider putting it on on an engraved, type of Excel, if that makes sense.
0: It does, but um, you know, people are incredibly mobile nowadays. So at the moment I'm living in BC, I might want to move to Ontario. I might even want to move to Bali. Um, I'm, I would have, you know, I broke my leg in a cycling accident. I haven't, but say I did, for example, and an MRI was taken of my knee and I'm developing issues whilst I'm living in Bali. So, um, you know, okay, you the blockchain will uh, give the information that I had an MRI done an next amount of day, and and this was the diagnosis, but the doctor yeah. that i 'm seeing in Bali will want to actually see the image so if, 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 so if i 'm the patient that 's carrying this information around i can 't yeah. my MRI scan is massive, and if everybody stored their MRIs and sometimes patients have multiple scans and x rays through a lifetime, they cannot be stored on the blockchain um um uh you know uh in the blocks so where is where are all where is all of this medical information going to be stored um if it you know at the moment what happens is the mri scan is stored image if i have it done at st paul's here hospital in vancouver st paul's hospital in vancouver retains that image on their data file you know i can't access it in bali um, but I'm going to want to, or I can't even access it when I'm in Ontario, but I'm going to want to. So y- your technology will facilitate the results, but where is that image going to be stored? That's that's a big so question. So you could,
1: yeah, so you could, you could store it on the blockchain, which means that it's almost like shattering it in like a million pieces to store it in many, many, many decentralized servers all over the world. And the only way is, so if I talk about encryption, right? So imagine this is your MRI picture, you shatter it to like a million pieces and you store those pieces, not in St. Michael's Hospital, in a million other hospitals in the world. And your app while you are in Bali is the only device if you want it, that can assemble it together with your permission. That's essentially like to visualize it. If you want it, if you think that this image is indisputable and you absolutely need it to be stored on the blockchain because you could potentially just build a regular system, store it in St. Michael's Hospital or maybe some other hospitals and then add permission to you as a verified patient to see this information. Because because when you're in Bali, this app verified you with your driver's license, your advanced driver's license, and the app knows beyond sending, you know, uh, double authentication, which is what they're doing right now. So now let's take it to the next level. You're in Bali. You can be authenticated with a very sophisticated self-sovereign identity um, ID. They know that you are who you say you are. And now you have access to the server that sits at St. Michael's Hospital or, 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 or any other hospital for that matter and retrieves the, the access to see this image.
0: Right. Okay. That's ingenious. So so there's
1: there's a few ways to do that. You you can do it with regular technology. You don't have to use it with blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. And and maybe use blockchain technology just for the identification Mm -hmm. when you have to verify that this is a person Mm -hmm. instead of just doing, you know, double factor authentication. Oh, I sent her a text message which also can be intercepted by the way.
0: Yeah, that's ingenious. Because the ideas I've heard is, is storing the image in a cloud, but uh, but your ideas of smashing it into a million pieces and dispersing it around around the PTP network that only my cell phone can f- reformulate and show to whatever f- physician or surgeon I want yeah. is ingenious yeah. and also well, that, 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 that's how it works. Yeah. That's how. That's why. Uh, that's how you you store files and information
1: on the blockchain.
0: All right. Well, that that's that's ingenious. So. Um, So so I'd like to end the interview with your thoughts of what aspect of blockchain technology application could be utilised to help us to live safely with the coronavirus and possibly concurrently help to protect us against future pandemics. Because at the moment, um, I think we're living dangerously. Countries, um, provinces have opened up. um, uh, There's, they're not masking. Uh, they're no longer requiring um, people to be vaccinated or tested. The 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 virus is being allowed to let rip. Um, uh, granted, because they feel at present in certain organisations, in certain countries, they have high rates of vaccination, and um, they're saying, okay, we have high rates. But you know, at the moment, the research isn't there to show. It um, how much vaccination protects you from long COVID or, or chronic organ damage, for example, we, we believe with preliminary research that it reduces the risk, but we don't definitely know. So in my opinion, people should be protected from ever getting infected in the first place. So, you know, how can blockchain technology facilitate us safely living with the coronavirus again, so that we don't have that worry in our head. What aspects of the technology do you think can facilitate that?
1: Yeah, so, uh, so I would I would go back to the vaccination uh, passports of self-sovereign identity and post-market surveillance. So when you look at post-market surveillance, uh, if you look at that as a, as a problem to detect how people feel and their, their, their status, their health status, there is a way for self-sovereign identity to be able to identify the symptoms, identify the person's health information, and then verify their health information along with other health credentials in a secure wallet where you only verify the uh, the fact that you've validated that they're like, that. They, for example, they're not sharing the virus and then storing it in an app in a, in a cryptographic manner where my app with my permission can uh, tap to open the bus door, right? If I'm entering a bus, and people are not masked, I would like to know that they're not shedding the virus. What you're saying is absolutely right. And when we know our health status and the environment knows, and we do it in a very uh, or a, in a very responsible manner, and we are the ones who own it on, on our devices. We are the one who pushed information, and by the way, retrieving the information is another thing. So, so using social identity, you can open the channel of pushing that uh, um, verified information to a certain part. You want to enter a bus, you want to enter an event, you want to enter a meeting, you want to know that people are not carrying the virus. And this and goes back to data and verified information, ver- verified data, and anonymized data, which is what uh, blockchain technology can really help with if it's done and implemented correctly
0: yeah no, that's fantastic. One question that's been bugging me in my head. What if you lose your cell phone, your smartphone? <laughs> yeah, happens?
1: that's a really good point. A lot of the times actually the, the, this this type of implementation you use you lose the phone, you delete the app. the information is gone.
0: Okay, so I mean, people lose their phones all the time. So if you lost your phone, you deleted the app remotely. How you get a new phone, how do you get that information back? So
1: so there is a way, there is a way to basically transfer the information securely to another phone. There is a way to do that.
0: I mean, I know how yeah. I can do it on Apple because so I'll just back it up and it'll. But yeah, okay.
1: Well, the, so, no, but I have to say like, if you back it up to the cloud, you kind of lose the, the the purpose of it, right? So it depends, depends what is the information because once you put it on the cloud, depending who owns the server on the cloud, all of a sudden they have access to your information. So potentially it could be from the phone or some sort of another mechanism. Maybe you can download it to a physical crypto wallet. That's another thing that people do. And then connect it through that wallet to another device.
0: Mm, okay. But that's about people taking responsibility for themselves. So that's going to have yeah. to be
1: a change. Be- because it's so. their data, right? It's yeah. kind of like your wallet. Yeah. Are you yeah. responsible on, on the on the Canadian dollars that's yeah. in your wallet? Yeah. I'm assuming you are. Yeah, yeah. So you can look at digital assets as something that's inside your wallet. And I'm assuming you're not going to give away uh, your your Canadian dollars that's in your wallet just to anyone, right?
0: <laughs> yeah so this is going to be like a whole mindset change that people are going to have to adopt so so where um so where do you see um blockchain featuring most in medicine
1: i i do i do see it with regards to um uh, pandemics with regards to uh different diseases that are spreading from one person to the next where you need to be able to identify and and people need to know their status mm. I think I think that's one of the really good use cases for it. Okay.
0: Well, thank you, Galia, for a very enlightening and informative interview. And thank you for all the work you and your colleagues are doing in the high-tech world to keep us safe in this pandemic and for future pandemics.
1: Thank you very much, everyone. Stay safe, stay healthy.
0: And please join us next week for our last episode of the season, where I'll be interviewing Professor Robert Della Tola, Dr. Tyson Graeber, and Professor Alex McKenzie of the University of Ottawa about the revolutionary wastewater management system they devised to monitor SARS CoV 2 in the wastewater of the province of Ontario in Canada. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of COVID 19 The Answers. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe rate and review and do visit our website kajalamedical.com forward slash COVID-19 the answers.